welcome back to the podcast show, Novelty Analysis, with your host, Gloria. Today, we are going to be talking about our final secondary character from the book Fahrenheit 451, and that character is Captain Beatty. Alright, so let's just dive right in. So, Captain Beatty is the main boss in Montag's firehouse unit. He is one of the predominant antagonists and is a wannabe ruler. Um, he could also be categorized um, as an everyman, as in he fits in with everybody else, since he shares many similar viewpoints with most other people in the city of Fahrenheit 51, which is that books are evil and they should be burned. Okay, so right off the bat, personality traits, I would say best describe BD are that he is manipulative, he is condescending, he's clever, patient, he's an open book type of person, like, he would be that typical villain who would commit their crime and then proudly explain their plan after everything happened. And he is also hard to surprise since he's a little bit of a know-it-all. And he also tries to just assume what's gonna happen, he wants to be expectant so that way um, he doesn't have to think on his feet and so that way he's just already prepared so we are now going to turn to page 24 and 25 in the first section which is called the hearth and the salamander okay so yes here we are now Okay, let me just find my place real quick. Okay, we're gonna skip over to 25. So, let's see, this is where Montag is at work, and he's talking to Captain Beatty about how the mechanical hound, which is what they use to help find people with books, so that way they can go to their house and then burn the entire house down along with the books. And so, Beatty is listening to... Montag's concern about the mechanical hound churning on him and so BD's trying to be like oh it's nothing like you're being too exaggerated just like calm down we'll get a guy to fix it tomorrow and so he's just trying to play it off and let's see okay BD is describing it as a fine bit of craftsmanship a good rifle that can fetch its own target and guarantees the bullseye every time. And so that automatically tells me that he's materialistic. And once you read further on, he starts to say, Well, this is after Montag says, That's why, said Montag, I wouldn't want to be his next victim. So then to that, BD responds, Why? You got a guilty conscience about something? And then BD stood there looking at him steadily with his eyes while his mouth opened and began to laugh very softly. So already there we can tell that he's very observant. So just want to point those out. And then again we're going through the text to support this claim about his entire character as a whole. So after 25 we're going to move on to page 30. Okay, so we're going to go to a line that says, Beatty was looking at him 
as in he was looking at Montag, as if he were a museum statue. At any moment, Beatty might rise and walk about him, touching, exploring his guilt and self-consciousness. So this tells me that Beatty is detached. He doesn't really see humans as humans. He just sees them as kind of like projects or objects. And that maybe he doesn't even really see himself as human. I don't know. That's just what I get from this. And you look further into what Montag thinks of the men that he's surrounded by. And this is what he has to say. Montag looked at these men whose faces were sunburnt and a thousand real men and ten thousand imaginary fires whose work flushed their cheeks and favored their eyes. These men who looked steadily into their platinum igniter flames as they lit their eternally burning black pipes. They and their charcoal hair and soot-colored brows and bluish ash-smeared cheeks where they had shaven close, but their heritage showed. Montag started up. His mouth opened. He Had he ever seen a fireman that didn't have black hair, black brows, a fiery face, and a blue steel shaved but unshaved look? So already there we get a general idea of how Beatty looks. And so it's very, I don't know, I guess like stone-like of the type of body build that he may have. Like very, I don't know, it seems all kind of like robotic to me. Okay, so there, we got a sense of his image now. So we are going to go to page 31. And on a line that says, Beatty arranged his cards quietly. Any man's insane who thinks he can fool the government and us. This is already an automatic tale that he is opinionated and extreme about his views. So then we go down to a line that says, once upon a time, he said, what kind of talk is that? And this is a point where Montag is trying to talk about what firemen used to do and just the history of the world and books. And so Montag starts off that line with, what was it always like this? The firehouse, our work? I mean, well, once upon a time, then that's when BD starts to be sarcastic. And so that got me thinking. If Beatty ever went through grief, he would show either anger or denial. Like, he shows very strong um, sides or more, like, kind of, I think he would feel more comfortable showing those emotions. And so that's just what I get from his general actions and the way he says things now we're going to go on to page 33 to a paragraph that starts with enough of that said Beatty. where are they he slapped her face with amazing objectivity and repeated the question the old woman's eyes came to a focus upon Beatty. and so this is a point where the firehouse gets a call where they have to drive to a house to burn down more books and so they get a call to this old woman's house and so they find the old woman there and Beatty is trying to get an answer out of her saying where are the books and finally she says they're at her neighbor's house and so they leave her there that or they either burn her and then they go to the neighbor's house burn that house down and so yeah but what I get from this when Beatty slaps a citizen that 
isn't even involved in this particular situation of his work. Um, that tells me that he lets his annoyance get the best of him. And that he just really likes things to be fast-paced, which, I mean, is a lot of people, especially in this society. But, I don't know, I just see it very prevalent in him. And it just fits in very well with the tertiary characters. Okay, now to page 45. We're going to go to the end of that page where it says, You know the law, said Beatty. Where's your common sense? None of those books agree with each other. You've been locked up here for years with the regular damned Tower of Babel. Snap out of it. The people in those books never lived. Come on now. And so this is where they finally make it to the other old woman's house. And so this is the part where he begins to be condescending. Or at least where we begin to see his condescendence prevail his main character. And then we turn over to page 36 to a line that says, Beatty raised his hand in which was concealed the igniter. We're due back at the house. Besides, these fanatics always try suicide. The pattern's familiar. So this is where we see where he's being expectant. He already knows since he's a somewhat know-it-all. And this also comes from the fact that because of his high position in his line of work as a captain, um, he mentions at some point in the book where all the captains and anyone else hired are required to read books, you know, for informational purposes, but then later on those books are burnt or whatever. And so that's why he has a lot to say, and that's what makes him very intimidating to Montag. But so yeah. And it is a pattern that you see. I mean, I guess I could be taking statistics from the mechanical hound that they use and to help them analyze the data. Okay, so then we go further down. And there's a line that says, Captain Beatty, keeping his dignity, backed slowly through the front door. And so this is the part where they're about to burn down the old woman's house. But she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to do that myself. So you can either leave or stay. But either way, I'm taking these books with me, not you. And so that's where that kind of counters Beatty's approach to being superior. And so instead of him just walking away smaller than he was before, he wants to walk back like, okay, you do you. I mean, you're going to be a burden off my shoulder and society's shoulder. So, do what you gotta do, but I'm getting out of here. So, yeah, that's what happens. And then we go on to page 38. And B starts to talk about how he's full of bits and pieces. Most fire captains have to be. Sometimes I surprise myself. Watch it, Stoneman. And so this is where they're driving back to the firehouse and... While his team is trying to process what just happened, he's just going on and on trying to get their mind off it, I guess, or trying to help them process it the way he is, you know, to get them on the same page of the mindset that each of them has. And that's a really good way for a manipulator to control people. So, yeah. And then after that, we go on to page all the way to page 50. Okay, let's turn there. 
Okay, so this is the point where Montag is homesick. So after the incident with that old lady, Montag doesn't feel very well. Um, he's just very sick to his stomach, like literally sick. He has a fever now. And so he's staying away from work. And his wife, Mildred, is all like, no, you got to go to work. Like, are you kidding me right now? And then B comes over and he's like, okay, well, let me just have a talk with you. And so that's what they do. And this is really where you see, like, more themes of the book come to life. Although they may not be easily read. Uh, That's what this is for. We're going to analyze what he says. Well, first we're going to summarize it. And then we're going to see what themes we can get from it. So right now he's at Montag's house. And he's in his bedroom, and he says to Montag's wife, Shut up the relatives, said Beatty, looking around at everything except Montag and his wife. So, already, he's already been bossy throughout the beginning, but this is where I saw his bossiness really come to life. So he's just bossy, and then further down, you see... Captain Beatty sat down in the most comfortable chair with a peaceful look on his ruddy face. He took time to prepare at, and light his brass pipe and puff out a great smoke cloud. Just thought I'd come by and see how the sick man is. So, already we get a sense that he's arrogant since he likes to treat himself as the king, whether it's his place to do so or not. Go to page 51. So, a paragraph that says, Tomorrow, the next day, maybe, first of the week. Beatty puffed his pipe. Every fireman, sooner or later, hits this. They only need understanding to know how the wheels run, need to know the history of our profession. They don't feed it to rookies like they used to. Damn shame. Puff. Only fire chiefs remember it now. Puff. I'll let you in on it. So, this is where. Beatty already knows that Montag took a book from the old woman's house because he was curious. Montag didn't really know what he was doing, but he only knew that he wanted to do it, so that's why he took a book, because he's just curious. And so, as we know now, Beatty was already expecting that, and right now he's, I think, he's smoking a cigar. And so he's acting like he has the magic key to something. As in, he already knows everything, and he can now share his knowledge, but to an extent. And so, what he knows, you know, but you don't know everything he knows. Like, like a teacher trying to teach a student, you're going to know what the teacher wants you and needs you to know in order to pass on to the next grade level, but you're, but you're probably... probably never gonna know how much information they have since everyone goes through different lifestyles and different life changes to get to the point of where their mind is at right now at least educational wise so now we move on to page 52 
is it 52? No, 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 it's 53. Sorry, my bad. So now we move on to page 53 to a line that starts with, Life becomes one big pratfall, Montag. Everything bang, boff, and wow. So I believe that, like, Beatty is the type of person who is unbothered by intense situations such as the ones that they're going through right now because right now in this situation they've already gone through two atomic bombs and that's a lot for anybody and everybody and for him to not mind is a big deal because later on we'll see how that plays into the end of his character his death so yeah we'll talk about that later on so he's just unbothered and then after page 53 we're gonna go all the way to page 56 and we're gonna start at the top to a line that says so a book is a loaded gun in the house next door burn it take the shot from the weapon breach man's mind who knows who might be the target of the well-read man me i won't stomach them for a minute so from here we can understand that bdc's books as something evil that should be destroyed and take out of existence entirely but throughout the book we also see him using books the knowledge that he has gained from books in order to help support whatever argument he's making and to help him manipulate whoever he wants to and just to be in complete control of every situation that he is in so he's counter yeah he's countering himself and contradicting himself and I just believe he's a character who's very conflicted if he's doing these things and according to let's see I forgot if I mentioned a website earlier but um, the website is Sparknotes and I'm looking at the character list for an in-depth analysis of Captain Beatty and so it describes him as being a person who probably had a past of being a bookworm like loving books learning about them and all that stuff and then now he's having to burn books so that can cause a lot of turmoil in a person because like maybe they don't know who they really are or they're just stuck with whoever they have been forced to become if he has been forced to become this type of person so yeah we'll just leave that at that and then we're gonna go to page 59 at the top to the paragraph and it starts off with bd got up I must be going. Lecture's over. I hope I've clarified things. The important thing for you to remember, Montag, is we're the happiness boys, the Dixie duo, you and I and the others. We stand against the small tide of those who want to make everyone unhappy with conflicting theory and thought. We have our fingers in the dike. Hold steady. Don't let the torrent of melancholy and dreary philosophy drown our world. We depend on you. I don't think you realize how important you are, we are, to our happy world as it stands now. So Beatty is using manipulation by stating that their purpose as, not firefighters, but book burners, by stating that their purpose is greater than what they know, and that they should take a lot of pride in that. And he's just trying to kind of like butter up Montag and be like, hey, like, come on, this is a good thing we're doing. You should be proud of yourself. You shouldn't be ashamed. And so, yeah, that's what Beatty is doing here. And this is after Beatty has come to Montag to just check up on him and I guess to investigate. So, yeah, that's what we get from Beatty at this point in time. 
And then from 59, we go on to the next page at 60, and we continue to see his manipulation take place. So let's read. Well, Montag, will you take another later shift today? Will we see you tonight, perhaps? I don't know, said Montag. What? Beatty looked faintly surprised. Montag shut his eyes. I'll be in later. Maybe. We'd certainly miss you if you didn't show, said Beatty. So, again, the, the reason why I say that manipulation is taking place here is because Beatty is trying to act like he's Montag's friend and like he actually cares about him when really he doesn't. He's honestly an apathetic character. And I think he's really good at using that to his advantage because he has like a very good poker face you know like quote unquote and yeah I think the poker face really does help but it doesn't help to mask his surprise because even though BD is very expectant and he kind of knows what's already going on somewhat um, there are little moments in time here and there where he is surprised and even though we could say that there are moments that surprise a lot of characters in this book I think the author Bradbury really wanted us to focus on those couple of moments that B in particular surprised because already in the beginning it's established that he doesn't get surprised that often so yeah that's what we get from that now we're gonna go all the way to page 101 in the next part part two the sieve and the sand so let's go on over there. Okay. Page 101. We're going to go to the line that says, Beatty stood near the drop hole waiting, but with his back turned as if he were not waiting. Well, he said to the men playing cards, here comes a very strange beast, which in all tongues is called a fool. He put his hand to one side, palm up for a gift. Montag put the book in it. Without even glancing at the title, Beatty tossed the book in the trash basket and lit a cigarette. Who are little wise the best fools be? Welcome back, Montag. I hope you'll be staying with us now that your fever is done and your sickness over. Sit in for a hand of poker. So Beatty is acting like a two-headed snake here, you know? He's both insulting Montag and also trying to invite him in. And first of all, that's not a healthy way to establish a relationship. Second of all, we can already see Beatty's knowledge from books take place here when he says, who are a little wise, the best fools be. But I think Beatty is the one who's actually being the wise fool here because he keeps on going back and forth with his statements about what his opinion really is, what his beliefs really are. And yeah, that's why I compared him to a two-headed snake. It's like he has... It's like he's not one complete person. It's like two halves that have tried to become one person. So that's what we get there. And then we're going to be reading all the way from page 101 to 113. So be prepared. Alright, 102. We go to the line, BD left. Let's have your hands in sight, Montag. Now that we don't trust you, understand, but... And then dot dot dot. So... Montag has just returned to work and with the book that he stole from the old lady that they had just burned. And Beatty's like, yeah, so I'm trying to act like your friend and all, but I'm actually not. And I'm trying to act like you're not in trouble, but you really are. And so hand over the book. And 
yeah he's trying to act all charming while doing this as well as so that way he can fit in with the other people because again he is an everyman type of character and i think it really helps him to act like a wolf in sheep's clothing and then we go down to the bottom of page 102 to the line i'll tell you said Beatty, smiling at his cards that made you for a little while a drunkard read a few lines and off you go over the cliff bang you're ready to blow up the world chop off heads knock down women and children destroy authority i know i've been through it all so bd is acting like he's a brainiac he is acting like he can read montag's mind and like he knows what's going on and from the audience's perspective he has a more clear idea of what's going on than many of the tertiary or other secondary characters know i mean besides Faber. But he doesn't know the whole story like he think he does and he's just acting very arrogant in the way that he's telling montag like hey i know why you did this but i don't think you know so let me just tell you why you stole the book and yeah he's just like i said earlier a brainiac so now we go to page 103 and we start at the line stop blushing i'm not needling really i'm not do you know I had a dream an hour ago? I lay down for a cat nap, and in this dream, you and I, Montag, got into a furious debate on books. You towered with rage, yelled quotes at me. I calmly parried every thrust. Power, I said, and he, quoting Dr. Johnson, said, Knowledge is more than equivalent to force. And I said, Well, Dr. Johnson also said, dear boy, that he is no wise man that will quit a certainty for an uncertainty. Stick with the fireman, Montag. All else is dreary curious. Don't listen, Chaos Faber. Wait, don't listen, whispered Faber. He's trying to confuse. He's slippery. Watch out. Beatty chuckled. And you said, quoting, Truth will come to light. Murder will not be hid long. And I cried in good humor. Oh, God, he speaks only of his horse. And the devil can cite scripture for his purpose. And you yelled, This age thinks better of a gilded fool than of a threadbare saint in wisdom school. And I whispered gently, the dignity of truth is lost with much protesting and you screamed carcasses bleed at the sight of the murderer and i said patting your head what do i give you trench mouth and you shrieked knowledge is power and a dwarf on a giant's shoulders seized the furthest of the two and i summed my side up with a rare serenity in the folly of mistaking a metaphor for a proof a torrent of verbiage for a spring of a capital truth and oneself as an oracle is inborn in us mr valerie once said so that was a lot <laughs> and from bd we can see that he maybe likes confrontation and to predict and to project his true emotions onto montag so here in this dream i'm gathering that bd is projecting his true emotions onto montag because since bd knows so much about books i'm thinking that maybe there's something deep down inside him that really doesn't want to burn books because maybe he wants to learn more to grow his knowledge and I think he values that more than maybe he thinks he does. Maybe. And we also see some more um, condescending things that he's saying to Montag by first calling him a boy. And then just kind of picking at his brain a little. And trying to... Well, through this conversation, I think Beanie is trying to just really unravel montag and 
see what his weak points are. You know, he's trying to learn what he considers his enemy. And I think that BD is just creating enemies that are not necessarily needed. Mm. So yeah. And then once BD is done telling Montag about his dream, BD grabs Montag's wrists and says, God, what a pulse. I've got you going, have I, Montag? Jesus, God, your pulse sounds like the day after the war. And so here we see that BD is praising himself for being able to intimidate Montag so bad that he that Montag is starting to get nervous, get anxious. And I just see it as himself praising bad behavior. And so we move on to page 104, and it's just some more manipulation examples. So we start off at the line. Montag, hold on. The moth brushed Montag's ear. He's muddying the waters. That's Faber, trying to be the clear conscience voice. Just trying to give Montag a clear head at base. Anyways, moving on. Oh, you were scared silly, said Beatty, for I was doing a terrible thing and using the very books you clung to, to rebuke you on every hand, on every point. What traitors books can be. You think they're backing you up and they churn on you. Others can use them too, and they and there you are, lost in the middle of the moor, in a great welter of nouns and verbs and adjectives, and at the very end of my dream, along I came with the salamander and said, Going my way? And he got in and we drove back to the firehouse in beatific silence, all dwindled away to peace. Beatty let Montag's wrist go, let the hands slump limply on the table. All's well that is well in the end. And so here Beatty is trying to tell Montag, hey, no matter what you do, we're always going to be the same. You and I, we're no different from the man next door. We don't like books, so we burn books. And that's who we are, that's who we will ever be. There's nothing you can change, so stop trying to change it. Like, stop trying to fight it. Just follow me. So, I would say that this is one way that BD is trying to kind of gain support for this sick idea of burning something that can really help people increase their knowledge. And I think a term that we can use is epistemology. Let me look that up. Epistemology. Okay, Google to the rescue. Okay, so the Google Dictionary says, The theory of knowledge, especially with regard to its methods, validity, and scope. Epistemology is the investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. So yeah, I think instead of Montag being the one who is in muddied waters, I really think it's Beatty who is the one in Muddied Waters because I think he's mistaking some of his opinions for facts. Okay, so we move on to page 105 with a line that starts with Captain Beatty, his poker cards in one pink hand, walked with exaggerated slowness to the phone and ripped out the address when the report was finished. He glanced perfunctorily at it and shoved it in his pocket. He came back and sat down. The others looked at him. It can wait exactly 40 seconds while I take all the money away from you, said Beatty happily. Montag put his card still. Tired Montag, going out of this game? And so Beatty, it seems to me, likes to be in control of attention with that exaggerated walk he did. And this is a phone call that is made while Beatty is trying to manipulate Montag and just take control of his mind. And I think... No, I would say that Beatty is acting all sly 
and cat-like in the situation, trying to pretend like there's something that's going on that he knows but no one else knows because, well, that is the truth. And I really think that he's trying to savor her that. And later on, we'll figure out what that something is. So we move on to page 106. Towards the end, we read the lines, Beatty was watching his face. Something the matter, Montag? So basically, the call that Beatty got was to go to Montag's house to burn down his house because books were reported to be there by Mildred and her friends. And I think that this is one way that Beatty is getting revenge at Montag is by letting other people do the dirty work. And by dirty work, I mean reporting the books that Montag has. So that way they can go to his house and destroy what Beatty thinks is the bad guy here in the story. And so I would say that Beatty is revengeful and apathetic because even when Montag is in distress and confused, Beatty's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this had to be this way. Um, um, let me try and figure out something that we can do because so, I don't want you to be homeless. No, he's like, here, burn your own house because it's your house. So like your mess, you clean it up. And so I would describe him, yeah, as apathetic and revengeful. Now I'm going to part three, Burning Bright, page 107. Beatty snorted. Oh no, you weren't fooled by that little idiot's routine now, were you? Flowers, butterflies, leaves, sunsets, oh hell, it's all in her file. I'll be damned. I've hit the bullseye. Look at the sick look on your face. A few grass blades and the quarters of the moon. What trash? What good did she ever do with all that? So... Not only is Beatty condescending Clarice, he's also condescending Montag, because it's like, hey Montag, how could you ever believe in a person like that? How could you ever want to be a person like that? Like, what what the heck is wrong with you? And I think he just wants everyone to go up to his level, when really he's levels below Montag, in my opinion at least. So I move on to page 108, to the one that says, alone hell she chewed around you didn't she one of those damn do-gooders with their shocked holier than thou silences their one talent making others feel guilty god damn they rise like the midnight sun to sweat you in your bed so again bd is just condescending clarice and really putting the blame on other people like her in a harsh manner and i think it's because he's projecting his insecurities onto people like her because i think he would want to be someone like her maybe not like exactly but at least be in my opinion more free than what he thinks he is and so yeah I think that's why he's being so opinionated about this situation so we go on to page 109 to the line what is there about fire that's so lovely? No matter what age we are, what draws us to it? Beatty blew out the flame and lit it again. It's perpetual motion, the thing man wanted to invent but never did, or almost perpetual motion. If you let it go on, it'd burn our lifetimes out. What is fire? It's a mystery. Scientists give us gobbledygook about friction and molecules, but they don't really know. Its real beauty is that it destroys responsibility and consequences. A problem gets too burdensome, then into the furnace with it. Now, Montag, you're a burden, and fire will lift you off my shoulders. Clean, quick, sure. Nothing to rot later. Antibiotic, aesthetic, practical. 
So this is where we start to see BD's philosophical and cold-hearted side really take place, really liven up. And like all throughout this book, we see since BD is so talkative, we already see that he's a little bit philosophical, but here is where we really see his philosophy on life and also his cold-heartedness. Because before, like I said, he was trying to act like Montag's friend, checking up on him when he had a fever, not really, um, asking if he wanted to play a game of poker, and just all this, like, nice face stuff, you know? And now he's showing his true colors, and he's not ashamed of them. Okay, so we go on to the bottom where it says, your house, your cleanup, like I said earlier, so this tells me that Beatty is an every man for himself type of guy he's like a lone wolf and he doesn't want to be bothered by anyone else and he chooses not to be bothered by anyone else and if he's bothered then he will bother you and that's just like a metaphor for the things that he could do so when we move on to page let's see 112 to the line that says Beatty struck him a blow on the head that sent him reeling back. The green bullet in which Faber's voice whispered and cried fell to the sidewalk. Beatty snatched it up, grinning. He held it in half, half out of his ear. So, this is where they're already at Montag's house. Mildred has left, and Beatty's like, Okay, Montag, do what you gotta do as a fireman. And so he does. Well, Beatty actually gets annoyed and impatient with how slow Montag is right now which is understandable because he just kind of went through a crisis and then once the earpiece that Faber gave Montag falls out BD finally figures out what's been going on and it's because before Montag went to work he went to Faber to get the to like figure out a plan so that's what they did and well now that plan is kind of going south at least this one particular plan um, yeah, um, again, this goes with Beatty's desire for revenge and apathy, as I would like to describe it. And so we move further down, where the line says, He twitched the safety catch on the flamethrower. Beatty glanced instantly at Montek's fingers, and his eyes widened the faintest bit. Montek saw the surprise there, and himself glanced to his hands to see what new thing they had done. So this is where Montek is just done with Beatty and what he's trying to do to him. So Montek picks up the flamethrower and points it at Beatty. And this is one of the other couple of instances where we see Beatty being surprised. We move on. Beatty grinned his most charming grin. Well, that's one way to get an audience. Hold a gun on a man and force him to listen to your speech. Speech away. What'll it be this time? Why don't you belch Shakespeare at me, you fumbling snob? There is no terror, Cassius, in your threats, for I am armed so strong in honesty that they pass by me as an idle wind, which I respect not. How's that? Go ahead now, you second-hand literature. Pull the trigger. He put one step toward Montag. Montag only said, we never burned right. Hand it over, guy, said Beatty with a fixed smile. So Beatty here is, again, acting unbothered or maybe expectant or both. And he's trying to downplay the situation of what it really is. And yeah, he's just trying to be expectant and act like 
hey, like, you're not in control of the situation. I am. Stop doing this, Montag. And Montag's like, nope, you're gone. So Montag blows fire at BD and BD well, melts and dies. And so that's the last we see of BD physically. But there's this phrase that goes like this. People die twice. Once when they bury you in the grave, and the second time is the last time that they mention your name. So this is the first time that we see BD die. We're actually going to see him die a second time. And so that's what pages 115 and 116 are for. Okay, let's go there. 115, we go to the line, You always said, don't face a problem, burn it. Well, now I've done both. Goodbye, Captain. So again, this goes with the fact that BD is impatient. And if he's the one or the type to avoid problems and just try and take them out completely then that tells me that he doesn't know how to handle a lot of things he hasn't known how to address a lot of his own problems whether he considered them problems or not and that he just likes to brush things under the rug and just make them forgettable like they never happened and I believe his flight or fight response if you were ever in a dire situation would be like this one as we saw Montag killing BD that he would like I wouldn't really describe it as a fight more like he gave up because later on in the next page we're gonna see Montag's opinion about this and so I feel like BD's fight or flight response I think he would fight but not kill and just leave that dirty work to other people to do and then he would fly away that's what i think okay 116 we go to the line that starts with bd wanted to die in the middle of the crying montag knew it for the truth bd had wanted to die he had just stood there not really trying to save himself just stood there joking needling thought montag and the thought was enough to stifle his sobbing and let him pause for air how strange Strange to want to die so much that you let a man walk around armed and then instead of shutting up and staying alive, you go on yelling at people and making fun of them until you get them mad. And then dot dot dot. So, the thing with Montag is that I think he's the character that we look to to see the mental health of the other characters surrounding him. Like for his wife, he knew that his wife was suicidal. And here, we know that his boss has suicidal thoughts. And I think that's a good way to go off on BD's mental health. And again, it just contradicts his old opinion of how he was saying that book burning is supposed to help make people happy when really it doesn't. I mean, Mildred was miserable, was miserable. her friends were miserable, a lot of other people were miserable because of the wars and stuff. And then even he himself was miserable, but because... He's the type of person to not confront or not take care of his problems. Um, they just festered up and like he didn't get rid of them completely. So yeah, his mental state was not the healthiest of healthiest and yeah, I'm glad that Bradbury appointed Montag to let us know like their state of mental health, their mental well-being. So that's what we see, that Beatty was 
most likely uh, not wanting to live anymore. But yeah, that's what we get. And that's it for our secondary character, our last secondary character. And yes, to go over our themes about um, of lack of interest and increased hostility towards books creating censorship and that idea being supported by technology. Um, it all counteracts BD and the argument that was being made that Radbury addressed here and just all the dissatisfaction that they went through and yeah that's what we can get from BD his symbolic side of the character that he played in his book and that's it for now I will talk to you guys later either next week or the week after that so sometime towards the end of December while I gather notes on Guy Montag in the meantime thanks for tuning in thanks for listening um, hope to see you guys next time remember you can listen to this podcast on google podcasts pocket casts spotify and you can just look up novelty analysis podcast on google and listen to it there thanks for listening and i'll see you guys next time goodbye